You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Welcome along. This is Counterculture here with Marie on RCR. Another great guest for you this morning, the Collective Shout Youth Advocate via the way of Australia, Daniel Principe. Good morning and welcome to Counterculture. How are you? So good this morning, Marie. Lovely to speak with you. It is so great to speak with you. I got put on to you by the wonderful Ellie Marie Diamond, which I spoke to several weeks ago. She talked about all the different things that you've been doing and the work that you've been doing. So give our listeners a little sousant of what Daniel does of a day. Sure. Well, I work for an organisation called Collective Shout, which is a grassroots movement against exploitation in all its forms. And we do three things. We advocate. Uh, so we advocate politically through policy. Uh, we campaign against corporations, advertisers, marketers that objectify and sexualize to sell their products. Uh, and we also educate. And that's the part that I spend most of my days focusing on is working with schools, communities, uh, pretty much whoever is open to a conversation looking at, well, what are the cultural forces really harming young people? But let's be honest, all of us that don't set us up for healthy relationships, healthy ideas about masculinity, healthy ideas about sexuality. And what can we do about that? But let's diagnose it properly first. Mm. And those conversations is like many conversations today have become verboten and -hmm. you have to work really hard, not only in person, but in other spaces to have them. Are you struggling to be able to have those conversations or have you still been able to get access? Uh, I'm pretty fortunate. I mean, I've already reached 11,500 boys this year, which is the same Mm -hmm. amount as last year to this point of the year. And we've been so fortunate to engage with schools all across Australia in every state and territory. And people are open to this conversation. I think a lot of people are open to the whole conversation about consent, which we say, yeah, we're happy to talk about consent, respectful relationships. That's a bit more palatable. But we say, look, if we don't address the elephant in the room, which is pornography and sexualization, we're not actually going to equip people to have healthy relationships. If we don't actually dispel some of the bad and harmful ideas that are limiting people's capacity to form relationships based on empathy and mutual respect and mutual care, uh, we're not actually going to achieve that. Because let's be honest, like, Consent is a bare minimum. And if you have to write on a board, like, don't molest an unconscious person or don't sexually assault someone, uh, who's going to get that message? Like, Mm. do you know what I mean? Like, Mm. we, we actually have to go to, well, what is actually shaping those ideas where some people feel that they're entitled to the bodies of other people? Some people feel entitled to be violently sexual towards others. Mm. Uh, And let's unpack that. Let's look at where that formation comes from, from a very young age. And so for me, in terms of the challenges that you've that you've noted, it's actually trying to dispel a lot of the cultural baggage that goes on in a room before I even open my mouth for the presentation, that the boys have come into a session, they think, oh, is this going to be another sex talk? Is this going to be a how bad are boys, all boys are rapists kind of talk? And I get it. Mm. I, I, I get to some extent why they may have those preconceived notions. And so to be honest with you, I spend anywhere between 10 to 15 minutes dispelling myths trying to highlight those kind of hidden elephants in the room to say, hey, this isn't that. What I'm here to do today, and I say this over and over again, is I say, boys, I'm here to challenge the culture, but champion you as young men. And I repeat that and repeat that to say, hey, what I'm going to do is ask ourselves, are you being set up as young men with the right role models, the right encouragements, the right challenge, which we all need to become better young men, healthier young men? 
Are you are you actually uh, receiving that from the world around you, from your social, family, community, cultural context? Is that equipping you to thrive in yourself, in your relationships with your mates and with women and girls, irrespective of your romantic interests? Is that actually equipping you? And if not, what do we need to do to actually serve you boys to set you up to succeed in life? Yeah, so you've now hit on a point that is really near and dear to my heart. So I have two boys, 15 and 17. They, like any teenager, wants to find their place in the world. And as young men, the messaging now that they're getting from social media is that they are toxic. How do you foster healthy masculinity in this current cultural environment? Totally. It, it is a question of our age, right? And, and I understand it. And that's why I have to dispel so much before I get going. Because boys have either heard this and there's so much culture war stuff that I don't like that doesn't help. And it doesn't help someone like me who's coming in saying, boys, I reckon you guys can be courageous and kind. I reckon you guys can be loving and resilient. I reckon you guys can show empathy and be a man of integrity. Like they're not mutually exclusive. And, and what can we do about that? But I think they've either heard one extreme or the other where being a man is all about dominance, power, control hooking up with girls, beating up on other boys. And then the opposite is actually boys are just terrible, they're horrible, they're hopeless, like there's no place for them. And I'm kind of like, hey, <laughs> there's actually a big massive paddock in the middle where men have talked forever about virtue, you know, mm. and, and that's obviously where we get the root word man from uh, is about virtue. And let's be honest, all, all virtues apply to all people. Uh, but how do we have a conversation that focuses on that? And what can we do to center that and how boys make sense of their masculinity, their relationships, their sexuality? And so, yeah, I feel for young boys who are disengaged, um, who feel like maybe there's not a place for them um, in, in the culture at the moment. And whether that perception is a true perception or not, and this is what I say to people who reject that, as I say, look, whether you think that is a fair conclusion that they've come to as a 15, 16-year-old man, whether you think that is reasonable, whether you think they themselves are playing the victim, there are a lot of young boys that feel that way. And if all you do is then berate them or tell them they shouldn't feel that way, we're just not going to get anywhere. Mm. We're not actually going to help take them on the journey to, to, to equip them to be good and decent, respectful young men, which 99% of boys tell me that's how they want to show up in this world. And so I've said to others, you know, to, to bring back to that word toxic, you know, I, I don't ever use the word toxic masculinity, uh, the expression rather. I know what it means. I understand it. But to a young person, young man, they just think that means you're saying all men are trash, all men are toxic, mm. all men are awful. Now, I see it as a critique to say, do you know what? There's some pretty unhealthy ways that we as men can show up in the world. And, and let's look at that. Let's look at what makes for this epidemic of male loneliness. And so I try and steer away from those kinds of, of, of phrases because until we have a shared understanding of language and concepts and until boys know we care, and, and I have to spend a lot of time trying to reassure them and, and convince them um, and hopefully show over time like I actually care for them and want them to thrive. And so, yeah, I think there is a lot of baggage in that place. And one of the things I always say to the adults in the room when we're doing either staff PDs or community parent events or podcasts just like this is we have to start from a place of empathy for young men. Like, let's be honest, puberty, adolescence, making sense of our identity, our desires, who we are, is hard for every generation. But I didn't do it with a smartphone, with social media, sexualized media at a click of a button. 
I had a Nokia 3310 in my pocket as my first phone in year 10. Limits him out of harm and carnage you can inflict on yourself and on others. I was bullied a lot during high school. But, hey, at least when I got on that number 60 bus home, it stopped. It doesn't stop for these kids. Mm. There are no barriers and safety rails for them. And so for me, I always say we have to start from a place of compassion, of empathy, of recognising this generation has some serious hurdles to them thriving in themselves and their relationships. And if we don't start there, I think it just comes across as judgment, as shame, and not an invitation to say, hey, boys, what can we do to set you up to thrive? Gosh, now you've said a rich tapestry. I've got so much here I want to unpick. So let's start with the beginning. You mentioned cultural baggage. When you walked into a room, mm. you often have to unpack cultural baggage. Hit me with some of what what does that look like from your experience? Uh, I can only I can only assume, you know, from from things that I see swirling around. So again, is this a boy bashing exercise? Is this all men are trash or not all men? Or is this a is this an exercise in uh, hating on some of our heroes and uh, perhaps saying that all oh, boys are rapists, these sorts of things, mm-hmm. and and boys are never the victims of crimes or harms or these sorts of things. And so there there is that that needs to be undone and say, hey, let's let's talk about this. And I, I can only invite them to be open to what the conversation is and to mm-hmm. show them that that's not what I'm then going to do. I tell them I'm not going to do that, and hopefully they see that in the workshops and the conversations that we have. That this is a broader project about setting them up as young men, realizing that so many of these cultural forces that I want to add, they didn't create. They didn't create social media, pornography, the TikTok. They didn't create these huge social forces that harm them, but they're navigating it. And I hear from year four, year five, year six boys having to deal with sex bots and pop-ups of pornography, being exposed to OnlyFans adverts, year four, year five, year six. They didn't create that, but they are having to navigate that and make healthy decisions, and if that then influences them, if they then get their ideas about what it is to be a man from horrific role models on TikTok and pornography, and they act out on that, well, they're going to become potentially pretty dangerous young men who harm others and harm themselves. But we've created that landscape for them. And so that's what I want them to to see, that this is an invitation. Uh, And so, yeah, they are some of the cultural baggage and they've probably heard things uh, in the culture wars about boys and they've probably heard the most polemical comments because obviously that's the stuff that does the rounds on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does. I mean, let's park the social media just there for a second because I know Mm -hmm. what direction that that we could be here all day. Absent fathers. Mm -hmm. Now, that is certainly something because, you know, I mean, I'm, probably parents' age, even potentially a bit older. And for us, there was the, the divorce rate was one thing. It's a completely different thing now. Absentee fathers is, are vastly more common than they ever have been. Mm-hmm. What is the impact now that we have an entire generation who have grown up with fathers not in the household or they're on a permanent basis making? It's a it's a significant challenge, and and there's a few nuances I want to bring to that. I was I was raised in a separated home. My parents divorced when I was seven, and I felt the impacts of that. I didn't have a continuity of a man or men because let's be honest, it takes a village, and that's not a cliche. Boys need lots of touch points of healthy male role models in their life because it's not just on one dad. There has to be other men in the community that help young men navigate those key markers and and transition from boyhood to manhood. 
But I, I experience that myself and, and I see it everywhere. And the thing is, is some people say, look, we need the presence of more men. And I've seen some of the memes and one of them was circulated to me last night, you know, that there's an absence of masculinity. And I, I said back to my friend who said, sent that to me, I said to him, I agree, but I want to be clear. It's an absence of healthy men. I'm not just interested in having people like boy, like men in boys' lives just for the sake of it and filling the gaps. Like, it's not just, hey, any man will do. Surely we want good men. And that's the task for each and every one of us to take that responsibility. We're not going to be perfect. No one's asking for that. But at least a man who's aware of himself, as committed to a vision for who he needs to be for himself, for his family, is loving, is reflective, is humble, is teachable. Like it's not just the sake of, oh, yeah, just put men in boys' lives because there's some pretty volatile and harmful men out there. And I see the carnage of how they've impacted young men and young girls. And so it's not just any man will do. Hopefully the goal is a, a good enough man or a decent enough man or a maturing man who is having an active intentional presence in a young boy's life to help him navigate that and doing that with other men and so yeah there there is an absence but i know and i'm sure every listener here is like no there are some not not just men but there's some harmful women who should not be in the presence of young boys or young girls lives right they're an actual they're going to do more harm than good Hence, people end up in prisons and hence people, you know, end up fleeing from certain family dynamics. So, yeah, there is fatherlessness and that is a huge cultural problem. But I think the bigger problem is like we need to raise more good men and we need men to get together with other men and help them through that because we all, you know, don't have it all worked out and we all are being shaped by the culture and the role models and the examples that went before us. And so I think that's a really important reflection piece uh, because, yeah, we want good men in the lives of boys. Yeah. And as you just said, as harmful as not having potentially good solid male role models in young men's lives are, just as dangerous are overprotective helicopter mothers that don't allow boys to test and experience risk. There was a woman here who passed away several years ago, but her she was a former prison officer called Celia Lashley, and she wrote a number of books based around what she had witnessed of young men entering the correction system. What was the pathway that led them there? And one of the things she talked about was the absenteeism of fathers, but also the fact that those role models weren't there to help these young men navigate risk. So how do you important do you see risk and the boundaries that young men need to push or come up against in order to see what is right, what is wrong, what is mm. worthy, what to aspire to? Yeah, I think it's, a, I, I'm not an expert on this. My observations, I think, with helicopter parents, and I've, I've heard it, you know, bantered about in different places. And I, I agree with it. I think it's probably symptomatic of the fact that we are living in a very anxious time. I feel like we just live in a, in a culture of anxiety, of fear, and for so many different reasons and in so many different ways. And, yeah, there is this sense of, yeah, boys needing to take proportionate risks. And I'll just speak from my own perspective. I was a very anxious child. I was very, very reluctant to do anything outside of my comfort zone, but I didn't have those um, male figures there to help me through those especially pivotal times in, I think, pre-puberty, through puberty, those kind of adolescent years as to how to actually do that and get out of my comfort zone. And, and I guess in a sense, something that I had to learn too late in life is prove myself to myself. 
to take risks, whether that's emotionally, relationally, physically, and risk maybe get yeah, one word for it, but challenge yourself. Mm. You know, that's ultimately what it is, you know, uh, to step out and, and endeavor and to dare, recognizing you could fail. And as someone who's a recovering perfectionist, you know, like that's, that is, the, that's actually the risk. That's the fear is if you're secure in yourself, you realize that not doing something perfectly, it doesn't mean that you are somehow horrible or bad. But I think giving children enough self-esteem and self-respect by endeavoring, by daring, finding out their strengths and helping them to master that in different areas and, and being as well-rounded as possible, knowing that some kids will be more drawn to art or music or drama or sport or swimming and, and cultivating that and helping them still to cultivate the, the social and emotional skills that we all need to thrive in life, both personally and professionally. And so I think, yeah, there is a huge task for all of us. And, you know, that's why people have talked about, you know, the coddling uh, of the American mind and these sorts of things that Jonathan Haidt's written about. And there is this idea that we actually need to expose people to things that just get them out of their comfort zones emotionally and mentally and physically, which is where they find their growth, which is where they find that sense of self-respect and self-esteem, which sets them up to see other things that meet them in life as opportunities rather than threats. Mm. And the reality is, is something that I've observed and in my work is like what worries me is you have the boys who are deeply insecure and they can look like the tough guys and they can look like the, the kind of more softer, sensitive guys. And I worry mostly about whoever those young men are because insecurities are packaged in all different shapes and sizes. But if we don't help them resolve those, if we don't help them take them on that journey, and this for me is the, the rite of passage piece, helping uh, all young people, but especially boys to challenge themselves and to go on that journey and to be welcomed into a community of men because they have, in a sense, proved themselves. Now, they're not proving themselves to be deemed worthy of love or care, you know, but they're, they're proving themselves for their own sake. As I said, that was my journey. I had to prove myself to myself by doing some hard things in life and failing and getting uncomfortable and and continuing on that process which i think we stay on for life and so i think there's a huge need for that i i see there's like quite a, a huge apathy in young men how do we actually help channel what should be their natural desire to adventure to dare to create uh to build um to take risks and not destructively, because it seems like that seems to be the outlet in Western culture. And I saw the research here in Australia that it's one of the four different ways that boys, you know, kind of prove that they're a man in unhealthy ways, which is having sex, getting into fights, risk-taking dangerous behavior, and drinking alcohol. And as I say to boys, call me an idealist, I happen to think that there's more to being a man than do you do stupid things and do you drink beer. Yeah, mateship is something that we I talk to with my sons all the time. So they're both in a single-sex Catholic school. Now, we're not Catholic, but mm -hmm. I'm very, very staunch on single-sex education, especially for boys. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for that is that sense of mateship and connection with other young men mm -hmm. that they can have physically, interpersonally, not through a screen. From a parental perspective, I think a lot of, and boy, I've been guilty of it too, in your uh, attempt to keep children safe, it's a lot easier to wrap them up at home in a safe environment and pop them in front of a screen than go out in the world dangerously where they could skin a knee or fall off a jungle gym or do something like that. So mm -hmm. we, we go for the safe option because we think that we are looking after them when really we're doing them a disservice. And 
that's something I think as parents we have to be really mindful of. So in terms of healthy mateship, in-person mateship, so not mateship that's sitting on a Discord server talking mm. smack about the latest game. For listeners that are not aware, just as we started this, I had to say to Daniel, give me one second, because I had four of them sitting in the room right behind me on an electric guitar. And I'm like, boys, no, I can't do this right now. You know, how that in-person mateship, how important is that? Yeah, but how good is that that that's what they were doing together? You know, like we need boys to to get together to find common interests and actually do that in person as much as possible. And again, you know, every boy's wired differently. They don't all like the same things. Uh, but to find their tribe, to find their community and to actually do things together, I think is just so important. I think boys are so scared that their mates are going to throw them under the bus. I see that and I see a lot of the ugly stuff. You know, so people throw the word toxic around, but I see a lot of it and I call it performative toxicity. Boys feeling like they have to act out a certain way to throw their mates under a bus to one-up him or one-up a girl or impress their mates in front of a girl, but it's not actually who they are. Mm. And it's trying to find ways for boys to actually keep their values, keep their integrity, do things that are right by them. They're going to make mistakes. We have to have lots of bandwidth and grace for that in life uh, as they learn, as we all do. Uh, but to find a, a community for them of other young men who are going to help them thrive, to, to choose the good and healthy things more routinely than the harmful and destructive things. And that's why I say to boys everywhere, choose your mates wisely. Choose your friends wisely and choose your heroes wisely. And it's so important. I, I see when the boys have breakthrough moments where they feel they can actually be honest about themselves and what's going on and see their mates rally around them. I think some of the most precious moments I've seen have been boys from anywhere from year six all the way into year 12 rally around a guy who's going through a tough moment. And, and for him to not be met with, oh, I thought the boys were going to throw me under the bus because I'm having a moment of honesty or transparency or, or realness, uh, but actually being met with care and, hey, mate, we've got your back and we're loyal and these sorts of things. And so I think for me it's like boys want that, but I think they're so scared that that's not what they're going to find if they are struggling. Hence, we have a loneliness epidemic in men and men and boys who aren't coping isolate. Now, I'm not suggesting every boy is going to write a blog or open up about his feelings online. I certainly don't think that. But I just hope that I say to them, do you have one mate that's got your back and do you have his back? that he could rely on, that he could trust, that you'd be aware if he was struggling at home, at school, in his relationships, like that you guys could look out for each other and be real with one another. And I think for me, like normalising that and talking about that and saying that that's actually what, what men do and to find other ways. It could be two blokes sitting in silence. Could be two guys having a chat over a meal. Could be two guys just kicking the footy, talking together. I don't know what it looks like, but having those outlets where you actually know you can be your real self and be honest with another person who actually cares for you and wants good for you, that's what I want boys to find in life. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and in mates and in men and, and dads and father figures older them as well. doesn't need to be with everybody but somebody. And because I feel like that's the thing that breaks my heart is knowing how many boys feel like they can't be their real honest selves with other boys and men. And they're craving it. They're just too scared until one brave, courageous soul enters into the fray and goes, hey, you know, this is what's going on for me, or I'm struggling, or I've lost a loved one, or I've gone through a hard breakup, or something like that. And I think for me, 
that when boys are encouraged to, to welcome that and to see that and to see how it actually benefits all of them to meet each other with a sense of, I've got you, mate. Like, mm. beautiful things happen. Good things happen. Uh, and it puts everybody at ease rather than being on guard, got their masks on, who can I trust, who's going to throw me under the bus? Because the boys open up to me one-on-one privately afterwards, but they're they're very much concerned, you know, do, does someone really have my back when push comes to shove? Like once the banter dies down. And I think for us, I think it's really important that grown men model that. You know, I was down at the markets on on Saturday morning last week here in Sydney in Bondi, and I just love seeing a group of, you know, probably 60-something-year-old men, six or seven of them sitting around a bench just chatting. They had a baguette that they were cutting up and sharing, and they were just chatting. And I think there's something really healthy about that that I was drawn to because I was like, gosh, I hope when I'm that age, you know, I've got a group of other men my own age where we can just go sit in the park you know, it's not about alcohol. It's not about banter. We're just sitting there, you know, having a snack, mm-hmm. chatting over a coffee and to have have friendships like that. So, I actually think the older generation owes it to model that, to mm-hmm. model healthier ways that men actually show up for one another. And it'll look different for everybody. You know, I recognize I'm a pretty expressive verbal processing kind of guy and I don't expect every other bloke to be like me. I don't. That's okay. Other guys are really happy to just sit. So I'm happy to just go fishing together and maybe share the odd word. Like I've got friends who are farmers, you know, and they show up in life very different to me. But you know what? I'll go and sit in a truck with them for a few hours and it's amazing the conversations we have. Yeah. And that's, you know, and this is the thing with these conversations too, because so many conversations have been taken off the table because, mm. of, co- because of cultural sensitivities, say. That's a polite way I'll, I'll place it. And it is, and that's the difficulty because, I mean, a lot of men aren't naturally expressive. So mm-hmm. to get them to open up or to all of a sudden say for them and their mental processing to go, well, like, I want to talk, I can't, oh no, I can't talk about that. And oh no, if I say that, that they'll come down on me. And it is really, really difficult. And I do wonder about um, loneliness. Loneliness concerns mm. me. This country mm. has the highest rate of male youth suicide per capita in the world. It is really seriously concerning. We've got advocates here who, um, a comedian in particular, who is really working so hard in that space. And one of the things that is holding him back is this whole expression of critical social justice, which mm-hmm. unfortunately is predominantly over-feminized, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that perceive this concept of toxic masculinity, when actually, mm-hmm. in fact, as you've so eloquently pointed out, if you foster it and grow it and nurture it and feed it, mm-hmm. it can be far from toxic. So mm-hmm. it is a real minefield for our young men. I think so. And yeah, I, I don't know the exact examples that that comedian would perhaps be referring to. But yeah, I think there is a sense of like, we actually just need to be able to be real and, and, and to kind of disrupt any of those mm. barriers. I think a lot of it, though, is the socialization of boys and men where they're rewarded for callousness. They're rewarded to perform, like I said, this more um, cruel and nasty vision of, of what it is to be a man and not necessarily aspire to decency, to respect, to integrity. Because I say to the boys, like, I, I want to be a safe man. I want to be someone who the men in my life the women in my life go yeah he's safe he's loyal he's trustworthy and and not just physically but emotionally too and i think again it's like putting that on the table to actually be like not only is that good for you 
Like it's actually like it's good for everybody, you know, to show up in those ways. And so I think it is about modeling it and encouraging it. And yeah, being able to have honest conversations. And I'm very big on not policing how people express certain things and allowing them to feel and talk because I know I've needed that at times to make sense of my own experiences and my own thoughts. And I, it's also why I come down pretty hard on boys who go to shame or bully another boy who's opened up or not said something perfectly or hasn't understood a concept or I really don't like that because that is that way that culture that male culture just shuts down openness shuts down honesty because the other boys jump on him if he doesn't say something perfectly or stumbles through his words or maybe if he's asking me a question where he hasn't comprehended something in the session and and you know, that for me is actually part of that social framework to actually push back on that. Because if every time someone is trying to make sense of something for themselves and we shame them, we kind of throw them under the bus, like it continues to reinforce this message that I can't talk and I can't open up. And un understandably, and it's not the sole reason, but it is part of the reason we seem to have a mental health crisis in, in young boys and loneliness. And sadly, because of the way boys are socialized, they do resort to more distress destructive and violent ways to deal with the pain, grief, tragedy, loss, you know, that we all go through in life. And that's why I say to boys, I can't wave a magic wand and make all that stuff go away. I've had to go through my own pain and grief and loss and my own disappointments in myself or others mm -hmm. and hurts. And it's like, what do we do with that? Where do we go with that? And for me, that's actually the task for all of us as a society to actually create ways that we can normalize boys and men finding places to deal with life in healthy ways. They're not going to deal with it perfectly. But can we put it on the table that there's actually healthier ways? And that's what I say to the boys, like to, to find who are those people, what are those outlets, what are those things that aren't destructive but are actually constructive when we're processing and, mm. and dealing with life. And so, yeah, I think I think we do have to create a bigger bandwidth on, on creating space for boys to, to have those pockets and those places. And for me, it's amazing what actually comes up and we, when we kind of give that the space and time for, for boys to lean into that. Digital perfection. How mm. dangerous is being continuously bombarded with these so-called perfect lives for our young, oh. it's not just young men, but young men and young women? It harms all of us, and I'm, and it harms me too. And I'm, I'm more aware of it. And I studied propaganda, and I did a postgrad in media and PR, and I spend my days analysing messages. And yet, I know I can spend some time scrolling on social media, going, "Oh, wish my life looked like that, or wish I looked like that, or wish I was doing that right now." And I can't imagine it as a younger person who hasn't yet fully developed the critical space and, and the kind of bandwidth and the, you know, emotional, mental maturity to deal with this sort of stuff. It's huge. And so much of what boys are also bombarded with is how their body shape should look. And I'm just real with everybody. Like boys are feeling the pressure to look a certain way. They're more conscious of their penis size than any other generation. And no surprises, they're bombarded with other people's anatomy more than any other generation. And so I hear from more boys struggling with body image issues even from the ages of 10 11 12 and and beyond like feeling like they're not big enough they're not manly enough which comes back to these ideas of what it is to be a real man which is both physical and as i listed those four destructive traits that i mentioned earlier whereas i'm wanting to say like we have to create other healthier ways that we can describe manhood and, and what it is to be a good or healthy man which is why i always come back to virtue because amidst as you say the the, the kind of 
perfect idealized visions that they're being saturated with, which very much focuses on exterior, on perceptions and creating false perceptions. I'm so much more interested in interior. Like, who are you when no one else is looking? What's the type of man that you are? What are your habits? How do you spend your time? How do people speak of you when the show's over? And I think for me, that's the conversations we need to be having with boys is to make it more desirable to have those character traits that are timeless, that are always in vogue, that are always good for them and good for the world. And so that's what I say to boys. Like, not only do I think it's a good idea for you to kind of be critical of these false ideas of what it is to be a man, that's a lot of bravado, a lot of performance. Um, I think it's a good idea to be loving, to be respectful, to have integrity, to be courageous, to be an upstander, to be kind. Like, they're good ideas, but the research says they're good for them as well. But that takes a culture helping to shift both boys and girls away from everything that's about the screen and about perceptions and these illusions of what life is like and actually doing the quite mundane, quiet, habitual work of going after doing good things routinely. But I am seeing a shift in that. And I am seeing both on social media and in discussions, like more people saying like, yeah, let, let's go back to basics. Let's actually mm. think about what do our habits, what do our relationships say about us and how can we continue to, to I guess, sow good seeds, you know, to do the right things. And it's not about living a perfect day or a perfect week, but it's the trajectory of our lives, doing the things that are good for us over, over a period of time. And I feel like that's actually becoming something that's seen as more attractive and more worthwhile as those ongoing lifestyle choices that equip us all boys men girls women to mm. to actually thrive to flourish and that's actually the conversation i'm having because i'm usually invited in to talk about masculinity and sexuality and critique a lot of the harmful things that are harming boys but i'm actually more interested in saying like what does it look like for all of us to do a bit of a stock take on our life and actually come up with a vision for us that would actually compel us to do the daily things that actually amount to us thriving in life, knowing that if we do these good things on an ongoing basis, like for our mental health, for our physical health, for our studies or our businesses or our contributions to the world, like the, the results will take care of themselves. But let's just focus on showing up with integrity um, in the day to day. And so that for me is the part that I think we we are seeing traction in and, and, and are encouraging boys to find that as an attractive thing, that consistency in the basics every single day. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing what you're saying because what you're saying is very old-fashioned. It's old-fashioned mm. manners. Yes, it's the sort yes. of things that, you know, my grandparents would have instilled in me in the yep. 70s, you know, it's that yep. sort of thing. And it's almost coming full cycle. And I'm, I'm from a Māori Irish household, so it's very loud and social and openness and family was a huge part of my growing up. So I always grew up with very much an open house. I've got a squillion cousins, as you can imagine. It's a big rambling family. My husband does not come from that. He <laughs> comes from a much more tight, tight-knit group. With our sons, what we have done is we created a space for them that it's very much an open house. So I will even, if it doesn't necessarily suit my husband or I, we will always have the doors open for the boys and their wonderful group of friends to congregate and come Love and it. go and spend time because they need to have that in-person time. And mm -hmm. half the time, as you said, it could be just sitting around literally shooting the shit, talking utter rubbish 
Mm-hmm. But it's that that mateship that they have. And in terms of like manners and doing things like that, what are some of the role models that you're seeing in Australia? So what would be a good example of uh, whether it be someone of high profile or an organisation that is sort of leading the way in this space? This is an interesting question. and I have a controversial answer for that. So it's not because I don't want to answer the question, but if you'll, if you'll hear me out, Marie, um, I'm always very, very reluctant to commend people in the public spotlight that I don't personally know. Now, there are things that I observe from the tidbits that you get on social media or what other people say about all sorts of people, and and I won't name names because the reality is I don't know who they are when the camera's not running. I don't know who they are behind the scenes, how they treat their wife, their children, or the checkout person or the waiter at a restaurant. And, And for me, when I am asked, who are your role models, Dan? Like, there are historical figures that I look back to that I see significant courage and sacrifice for the good of others and the good of the world that inspire me. I'm always interested to say, like, I want to see people who have, who have paid a cost for a cause where they've shown courage and sacrifice. That's what I find attractive. They're the people that inspire me and really challenge me. But for me, like, when I think about who my role models are, there are people like just everyday mums and dads, you know, yes, contributing professionally, but I, I see who they are behind the scenes as best as you can when you don't live with somebody, but you see them after a long day at work or you see them wrangling four kids on a Saturday morning. And and for me, they're the people who I think we get so caught up in who are the high profile people. And then when we see a lot of them sadly fall from grace or don't actually live it out, because let's be honest, we're in a time of reckoning and there's lots of people who have been idolized and idealized out in public who it comes to the fore that they aren't who they say they are in all sorts of parts of society, from Hollywood to the church, from sports stars to politicians that people have idealized. And so I'm reluctant, and that's where I come back to virtues and using that as a framework to be like, does this person model love, courage, justice, self-control, wisdom? Do they model that? And let's follow that. And no one's going to do it all perfectly. We're all a work Mm. in progress. So I'm, for me, also then drawn to people that I can touch and see and and model. And the reality is I think if we went more to use those timeless traits to discern who is someone worth aspiring to, I actually think there are more people in our own circles that, hey, we're like, yeah, I I actually love that person's faithfulness to to keep doing and serving in their community for 40 years. Or I I love that person's courage to kind of, you know, stand up for, for something that was right. Or I love that person's love, you know, the way they've just continued to be loved loving uh, in life and and to show that not just romantically, but to their friends and to their grandparents. I I don't know, but I'm very much interested in in pointing towards that. It's really hard to say that in a cult that idolizes the 5 million followers on Instagram. But for me, uh, they're the people that I want to advocate for because I think there's a lot of people who embody some of those virtues or a lot of those virtues living pretty quiet lives in our midst. And I say this routinely, I think when you see character or traits that you admire in someone, like, go and get to know them. 
Like actually a person, like ask them questions, you know, how did they become like that or where did they learn that from or what inspired them or what has given them the courage or what's given them the perseverance or what's given them the resolve to keep doing what they're doing and contributing as they are. And I think there's a lot of people in everyday life that demonstrate this. And so that's my very long-winded answer as to why I will never vouch for someone in the public eye that I I don't... I don't meet them. I don't know them. And I think, yeah, I, I can't I can't actually do that. So, mm. yeah, I'm more interested in back to basics. What are those timeless traits that we find attractive in men, women, any person that embodies them? And, yeah, go and find that. And also historical figures and learning that they didn't necessarily live perfect lives. There's people who have changed the world, but they also were human too. Mm. So as a parent, if you've got a parent out there, they've got some sons, particularly if they're in that heading into that difficult zone, that tweeny space before they the hormones really kick in, give them three things, three things as a parent that they could possibly do, simple things at home that will really help solidify their son's journey. I think modelling it, modelling mm-hmm. healthy relationships at home and obviously ideally having a father or father figures that are around, that are there, that are touch points. I think at the end of the day, we, we all need that. We need to bring other good men and role models into the house that boys see that. And it's not just a father and uncle. It's like putting those boy, those other men in, in a touch touch points there in their in their orbit, I think is just so helpful. I think just actually having fun with young boys. I think just continuing to engage and and inviting them into that. I know they're going to get too cool, but boys, uh, the research is still clear that young people still want to talk to their parents about the big things going on in their life. And so if you still have those open lines of communication, that they're still fun, that they're not shamed for the things when they do muck up or do something stupid or are exposed to something that might harm them online, you know, like to to not actually react and realise that, hey, this is a young person doing their best to make sense of a pretty challenging time. So I think fun, open communication, it doesn't mean that there's not opportunities for, you know, challenging them and encouraging them to be their best selves, but we need to create a space where boys still want to open up and talk. So I love what you said, Marie, like having the boys come around, Mm. having them feel like this is a safe space for them to hang out and and explore being teenage boys, whether that's playing music together, playing sports together. And so I think that's something that's really, really important. And I think, you know, if people can do it, I think it's really important for all young people to to realise that they're not the centre of the universe and to find a sense of satisfaction and how they can use, like, identifying their gifts and talents and then giving them away to serve others. And so I think, yeah, that gives them a healthy sense of self-respect and a sense of, hey, I'm just a part of the world and I can actually contribute and make the world a better place for others as well. So I think there's a huge avenue to help what that looks like by helping young people identify their strengths and then working out yeah, how they can actually be a blessing to others, contribute to the world around them and give them a, a sense of buy-in in a very atomized world to realize that they're a part of it and they're also not the center of it either. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, now look, we're, um, I mean, obviously you're in, in Australia, but if people are wanting some resources online, what are some good resources? Um, I have, I've had a look at Collective Child, it looks great. That's a good place to start. Any others that you can also think of? 
Yeah, there's definitely um, lots of different groups doing some great work for young men. TheLine.org puts out some great resources for young men. Uh, if people want to get in touch with me at LastOfTheRomans.org, depending on what their particular interests are, like they're more than welcome to reach out and I can send some recommendations from podcasts to resources and just ideas because I'm always like looking and learning from others, Instagram pages that I follow on inspiring ways that parents can help raise good sons you know like so yeah the, the, that's all out there there's lots of information we can't do it all but yeah if people want to reach out i'd happily make some recommendations or uh, if there's things that i can like, offer in that space awesome look this has been daniel principe from collective shout it's been an absolute joy thank you so much for talking to us this morning thank you again for just reminding us that you know, it's, it's sometimes it's the old-fashioned things, isn't it? It's taking things back to basics. That mm-hmm. do, we do the basics right, and everything has a funny way of actually lining itself up. So I've really appreciated that. Don't disappear, everybody. This morning, still great content here to come. As always, a little bit more music, a little bit more talking, and of course, woke news of the week is not too far away either. Here on Reality Check Radio, you're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah, Reality Check Radio. Radio. Radio.